0: Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Good. All right. Um, why don't you do me a favor? Open up your Bibles to James chapter five. James chapter five. We're starting a new sermon series um, this week. We'll spend a couple of weeks on this topic. Um, the sermon series that we're jumping into is uh, it's prayer. Um, one of the one of the at least. The things that, that I'm most passionate about is prayer. And the reason why I'm passionate about prayer isn't because I have a really good prayer life. It isn't really because I pray often, regularly, or I pray when I should. Um, the reason why I'm passionate about prayer is because like, I realize it's a necessary spirit, spiritual discipline that I'm really bad at and I want to lean into it more. So we're gonna spend a couple of weeks talking about prayer and my hope is that um, when we talk about prayer that we're just not talking about it but that in some form or fashion it would encourage our hearts and it would inform our minds to actually do the thing that we're talking about. So we find ourselves in the book of James um, verses 13 to 16 in chapter five. I'll be honest with you, so we're gonna read 13 to 16, but I don't think we'll get past 13. Um, I just have a lot to say, um, and I, hopefully it's good things. But um, I wanted to like really talk about this passage, and then I realized that as I was walking through this passage, God was laying things on my heart that I think are uh, particularly important for us, important for you, important for me. So we read James chapter five, verses 13 to 16. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 13, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If you'd like to underline and highlight, this is my favorite part of this verse, last part, verse 16. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I remember reading this verse when I was a kid, and in the church I grew up in, they often used the KJV, and do you know the KJV version of that last verse? Um, some of you who grew up in church know it, you can recite it with me, and the prayer of the righteous veileth much. Um, I, lo- I don't know why I like it, it just sounds really cool, so um, just to give you some context before we we uh, land the plane and talk about prayer. Um, James is writing to Jewish Christians who have been scattered throughout the Mediterranean area. Um, if you remember Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, um, there, there's a great persecution in the church. And what ends up happening is people um, in the church begin to scatter all throughout the region um, in fear of their life, in fear of losing their their family. So they decide to, to, to move to different places in, in the Roman Empire. Empire particularly in the Mediterranean area, and, and James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, who we know to be the lead pastor or the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem, um, writes a letter. And, and, and if there's one word to summarize the entire book of James, um, it's, it's this word, it's to endure. James is writing to the persecuted church and he's reminding them to endure. He's reminding them to be faithful and he outlines all the various things in ways that they ought to be faithful. Um, In face of of persecution, trials, in the face of adversity, they are to remain, they are to endure and he gives them certain things to do to endure and when we get to this last part of James chapter five, what is he asking them to do? He's asking them to endure persecution and the way they ought to endure is through prayer. He's asking them to pray. So so what's the main point of this section? I'm going to give it to you really quickly. The main point of this verse or this passage that I want us to hone in on is the centrality of prayer in the life of the believer. Prayer is essential for the life of the believer. It's, it's important that the people of God, the church of God, it's important for every believer to practice prayer, to implement the spiritual discipline of prayer. And we, and we know that prayer is important because we see it throughout Scripture. Some of the greatest stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament come from, from a place where people prayed and they believed God to do great things. Think of of Hannah who was barren, who couldn't bear a child. What does she pray for? A child, what does God do? Gives her a child and that child ends up being Samuel. I think of the story of King Hezekiah. I've said this before, one of my favorite stories, King Hezekiah is about to die. The prophet Isaiah goes to him and says, listen, get your house in order because you're going to die. And what does King Hezekiah do? He doesn't complain. He doesn't pack up and say, all right, I'm ready to go. What does King Hezekiah do? The Bible says he prayed. And what does God do? He tells the prophet Isaiah, turn back and tell him, I'm going to give him 15 more years of life. Why? Because I heard his prayer. Right there, there is great power in prayer. And one thing we know from the New Testament, one thing that we see throughout the New Testament even, is a church that prayed. I think of many men, even now in our day, that we've seen. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said this about prayer. If I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. And we know Martin Luther, who the great reformer, started a Protestant movement of which we are beneficiaries of. What does Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Missions, what what do they say about him? The people who wrote about him, they said that that Hudson Taylor prayed from 2 to 4 a.m. And the reason why he prayed from 2 and 4 a.m. is because it was the most important time to pray because it's when he was least distracted by people and other things. Some of the greatest stories of men and women in our history were men and women who prayed. Men and women who sought after the presence of God, men and women who were not distracted by social media, men and women who were not distracted by the sinful patterns of the world, men and women who prevailed in the presence of God, begging him to do what we cannot. The question is, are you that person? Are you a prayerful person? I remember growing up, my father. Um, my father, if you ever meet him, I hope one day you get to meet him. He's an older man now. I call him Kid because he's old. Um, and one of the things that you'll notice about my dad is very simple. He has broken English, he speaks with a heavy accent. But um, one thing my father has always modeled for me since I was a kid um, was prayer. If my dad came to church in shorts, which he would never do because my dad is old school, he'll come in here with a shirt and tie and um, some jewelry. You know, we're from New York, so we like, <laughs> we like some bling, or as the young kids say, some drip. Um, you're laughing. You have no clue what that means, but I do. Um, so, so um, my dad, if you looked at him, he wore shorts, like his knees are, are, are dark. And the reason is because my dad, the way he prays, and this is not the only way to pray, but he prays on his knees. And sometimes when I call my dad and um, I can hear in his voice that he was praying, and I said, what were you doing? He was like, um, I was praying. There's a lot of things to be praying for. And my dad wasn't the, the type of guy to pray 15 minutes, right? Like this is not the guy who prayed five minutes um, and then went on to the thing. This is the guy who went into the room and, and came back two hours later because he prayed. I mean, my dad was a, a prayer warrior. My dad is a prayer warrior. And the sad thing is that I'm not that guy. I long to be that guy. I want to be that guy. The older I get and I look at our culture and our world, I say to myself, life isn't getting better, but getting worse. And, and what are we to do? And oftentimes the solution that we have is to have a really good Bible study. The solution to the world's problems and the solution to our problems is to have a good theological, a good theological debate. Calvinism versus Arminianism. The solution to much of, of the problems that we face in the church, right, is to, to have a long, strongly worded email and send it to Tim because Tim can fix it, right? You know what's funny? Can I get a little Real? We're gonna go a little hard right now. Um, You know, uh, I don't, I get emails often and I have conversations with you regularly. Um, What often I hear um, in the church is the music is too loud. The music is too low. We don't sing enough hymns. We sing too many hymns. Tim, you don't wear a jacket. You don't wear a tie. Tim, you look really good today. Um, We. We used to do the Christmas concerts and we should do that again. We do too many Christmas concerts. We shouldn't do them anymore, right? Like like we I get so many emails and conversations about what we did, what we didn't do. Like the the piano is too loud during the prayer time. The piano should be a little bit louder during the prayer time. It's distracting them. Um, the babies are talking during the service. People are walking around in the building. There's not enough people in the pews and and like I get a lot of people asking questions why we should do this, why we shouldn't do this. You know what's the one thing no one asks me about or no one complains about? You know what? You want to know the one thing that no one complains about? No one ever tells me we pray too much or we pray too little. We're not concerned about prayer here. The modern church is not concerned about prayer. You know why the modern church is not concerned about prayer? Because we become impatient. Because we have resolved in our hearts and our minds that we can fix it. We can do it. I can take care of it. If there's a problem, I'll find a way to fix it. If I need money, I'll figure out how to get the money. If I have a broken marriage, I'll go to 20 therapists to fix my marriage. I'm anxious and fearful. My kid is anxious and fearful. I'm going to send him to every therapist in the city so that they can fix him. They can fix her. My child is wayward, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to constantly tell them about the gospel. I'm constantly going to remind them because that's how they're going to come to Jesus. We got problems in our city, this is what we're going to do. We're going to complain about the politicians. We got problems with our federal government, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start complaining about them. You know what we don't do? We don't pray. You know why we don't pray? Because it's not a priority for us. we've we've become comfortable with taking on the responsibility of fixing the things in our own life. We have a problem with sin, we won't address it. We have a problem with other people and their sin, we won't pray for them, but we sure would like to outline everything that's wrong with them because that's what we do. That's how we're going to fix them. We We don't pray. Why? Because prayer is not a priority for us. But when you talk to missionaries in the mission field, when you talk to them and say, hey, what, what are the resources that you use to, to, to spread the gospel and tell people about Jesus? You know what they say? I got one resource, and that's prayer, because I can't do this without him. They're not relying on the program. They're not relying on the week, midweek Bible study. And the midweek Bible studies are great. You know what they're relying on? On the intimate presence of God that says, I'm not leaving here, God, until you do it. And if you don't do it, I'm staying right here because I'm going to wait for you to do something in my life, in this world, in this culture. But we don't pray. And when we do pray, there's a lack of fervency, there's a lack of power, there's a lack of words. Thank you for today, thank you for this, thank you for that. One of the things that I've been told about my preaching, and this is transparency, um, and I know I do this. I don't do it intentionally, but I do it. One of the things that I've been told, and this is from someone who I trust as a mentor, and they said, you know Tim, when you pray, at the end of the sermon, you, you shuffle your paper and your iPad and your Bible and you're getting ready to go and what you ought to do is just stay there and just pray. And this is what he said. He said, you're praying to God and you're calling them to pray, so just pray, don't worry about the stuff. Right, like, even here in church, we use prayer as a transaction, right? Like, like or transition. We have to go from this moment to this moment, so we're praying in between, so it's smooth. But but what happened to the church? The church in the New Testament that prayed. What happened to that church? No, we've become so enamored by all the glitz and glamour of, of American corporism so that we incorporate it in the church as though as that that is the way the church is going to grow. We have to have this flashy lights and design, and we have to be attractional and seeker-friendly because that's how people are going to come to church. No, people are not going to come to church because we have the flash and glam. People are going to come to church because they want to experience something more than just words. They want to experience the presence of God. Why? Because there are people who are on the road to hell. People are going to die without salvation. They have no hope. The president, his administration, our city leaders, our government leaders, our neighborhood leaders do not provide hope. There's only one person that provides hope, and that's Jesus. And the only way people are going to experience that hope is that they have a tangible expression of the presence of God. And the only way that's going to happen, the only way that's going to happen, if the people of God prevail in powerful prayer. Not just those five minutes of praying. I'm talking about praying until something happens. About 88, 89 years ago, the chapel began this weekend in 1934. And you know what's the one thing I've learned about the history of the chapel? Is that the history of the chapel were people who prayed. The reason why you're sitting in the pew that you're sitting in is not because you decided to come here. The reason why you're sitting in the pew that you're sitting in is because there were people in 1934 who prevailed in prayer and then said the chapel is going to be a beacon of hope. And the way the chapel is going to be a beacon of hope is proclaiming the good news of the gospel and prevailing in prayer. But what happened to us? What happened? We've... We've come too accustomed with the programs and we've come too accustomed with our schedule and, and the service has to be only an hour and five minutes and the prayer time can only be five minutes and, and, and we've, we've become too enamored with the sports and the family thing and this and that and, and then we wonder why the kids are not serving God and we wonder why the marriage is broken is because why our, our relationship with each other, our relationship with our family and friends is not founded on prayer. Right here. What does James ask? He says, Hey, are you suffering? Why don't you come up with a five step plan to relieve you of your suffering? Hey, are you cheerful? Are you happy? Are you content with your life? Here's five ways to develop a program so other people can be as happy as you. Why don't you share it with the church? Hey, are you sick? Here's what to do, go find the 10 medical doctors that can come to prescribe you all the medication you need to heal you. No, what does James say? If you're suffering, pray. If you're happy and content, pray. And if you're sick, pray. In fact, if you're so sick, come to the church and prevail in prayer. I'm not saying any of those things that I mentioned are bad. What I'm saying is that the reason why we struggle with prayer because all those other things have become a priority and prayer has not. And the rebuke that I preached this morning is the rebuke I preached to myself because let me tell you something, I can spend a little less time streaming Netflix. I can spend a little less time hanging out with people. I can spend a little less time in, in, in doing errands and running this program and that program. I can spend a whole lot of time in prayer. Because James says, the prayers of the righteous have what? Great power. Matthew says in Matthew seven, ask. And it should be given to you. Seek, and you shall find, knock, and the door shall be open, right? Like there's so many promises to prayer. The Bible says, if you pray, God's going to answer. And yet we don't do it. Why? It's not a priority. For some, they don't know how to pray. And here, here's if you here's what my six years in seminary and a whole lot of debt has gotten me. Here's here's the Here's the theological answer to, to I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. What is prayer? Really? Write it down because someone's gonna, some, someday, 100 years from now, someone's gonna quote me and write a book on me. Um, prayer is this: it's talking to God, it's opening up your mouth and having a conversation with the living God. Right? That's what prayer is. There's no formula. It's opening up the same thing that you do in your relationship, whether with friendship, family, spouse, right? Like every good relationship is founded on a couple of things, and one of them has to be conversation. One of them has to be communication, right? Like it ain't much of a relationship if you don't talk to the person, and if they don't talk back, something's wrong, right? So if your relationship, If your relationship is based on conversation, why isn't your relationship with the living God who created you in his image, who died on the cross for your sins so that you can be in a right relationship with him, so that you can see him, you can know him, you can experience him, why wouldn't you talk back to him? You don't talk back because it's not a priority. And what James is saying, prayer is central to the life of the believer here's the the second thing man you guys are really quiet so i'm going you i'm going hard now let me ease up it's okay this is the second point that i think that james is is pointing to in this passage if you notice i mentioned them already there are three times that james says you ought to pray he says when you're suffering when you're cheerful, and when you're sick. And, and I think that's, that encompasses all of life, right? Like, at some point, we, we, we find ourselves in any of those three stages, right? There's some people in this room watching online who are suffering. Those who are not suffering are probably happy and cheerful. Maybe there's a group of people who can't be cheerful and happy. Why? Because they're sick. They're, they're physically sick, and it's difficult for them to, to be happy. So... So James is saying, right, that, that, that not only is prayer central to the believer, but what James is actually doing, he's, he's beyond inviting people to pray. What he's saying is that, 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 that prayer, that the invitation that God is giving us is to commune with him, to have a relationship with him, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's showing us, right, that, that prayer is a bridge, it's not a vending machine. Prayer is not like, I need this, I want this, gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, gimme. No, prayer is a bridge to lead us to where? Into the presence and fellowship of God. To have a relationship with him, a bonding experience with him that surpasses the suffering, that surpasses the happiness, that surpasses the illness, right? That's what prayer does. It, it's a bridge. It's not a bridge to nowhere. It's a bridge to someone, to the presence of God, to be in relationship with Him, to know Him, to understand His will for your life, to to understand what God is doing in the world around us. It's, it's, It's an invitation to know Him, not intellectually, but with your heart, with your feelings, with your affections, with your motives. We're very comfortable reading scripture, and that's a good thing. We're very comfortable studying God's word. We're very comfortable memorizing scripture, but are we comfortable with prayer that leads us beyond just the words, but it leads us to the person and presence of Jesus, right? What does Hebrew say? Enter We boldly enter the throne of grace. What? To receive grace and mercy in our time of need. The invitation is there. First thing. First invitation, right? To be in relationship. To be in communion, rather. That's a better word. The invitation to be in communion with God through prayer is an invitation to the people who are suffering question is, are you suffering this morning? There are many people who are suffering, and what James is saying here, it's not suffering from, from the physical pain of our illness. It's not suffering from the physical pain of our health. What James is actually saying, or what he's referring to, the suffering that he's talking about is external suffering. The suffering that comes from, from knowing that, that the wayward child doesn't look like it's coming back the suffering that comes from the broken marriage, the suffering that comes from the persecution, the hostility of living out our faith every single day, whether at home or at work. The suffering that James is talking about, it's the suffering experienced by other people through their attack on us with words or with their actions. That's the suffering he's talking about. And and Are you this morning finding yourself in the place of suffering? Have you in your past found yourself suffering at the hands of other people? The invitation that James is saying, pray. And what are you to pray for? Simply, it's to to pray for deliverance, to pray for comfort. You know, many people in our culture, and even in the church, I ask this question all the time, is God, why do you allow suffering? I remember dark times in my life where I've suffered at the hands of other people and, and I've asked God, God, why did you allow that to happen? Why are you allowing this to happen? I don't have a really good reason why, but, but here's what I do know. I do know that the, real, the cause of, of all suffering, the root of all suffering and pain in the world comes from the fact that we live in a sinful world, right? right? That's the result of a sinful world. But here's what I also know, that oftentimes that the invitation that James is giving us to pray when we're suffering is to help us see that God is in control of those circumstances, that God has the power and the ability to change those circumstances, and God is also doing a work in us to refine us, to to help us endure, to build character in us. For what? For his glory. I think of the story of Abraham, or I even think of the story of Joseph. How many of you know the story of Joseph? Raise your hand. For those who don't know, Joseph was one of the youngest son. He had 11 brother, brothers. He had a, a sweet gift. Um, he was a little ornery, I'd imagine, because he loved to talk about the dreams. He was able to, to have dreams and interpret those dreams. And his brothers um, were jealous of not only the gift, but also jealous that his father kind of um, favored him. You know how many of you ha- uh, have siblings and know that your sibling is the favorite? Raise your hand. Yes, the sibling is the favorite, and it's typically the youngest one in the family. And if your parents say no, they're lying to you. Um, <laughs> ain't that the truth, right? So, anyway, what? I don't know where I'm going. Oh, here we go. It's a little dig. Um, but, but if you know the story of Joseph, his brothers are so jealous of him that one time his father sends him out to go check up on his brothers and say, hey, go, sh- go check up on your brothers. He had a nice little colorful coat that his father gave him, and he, you know, he wore it all the time. And his brothers decided, you know what, let's go kill him. And one of his brothers, Reuben, says, no, no, no let's not kill him. Come on. This is, this is our brother. So they decided to beat him up, throw him in a pit. They see a caravan of of traveling merchants and they said why don't we sell him to the traveling merchants they sell him to the traveling merchants he ends up in egypt and he ends up becoming a slave a servant in potiphar's house potiphar was the head guard of pharaoh's um uh, guardians guard whatever you want to call him and 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 the bible says that he grew in favor with potiphar but what happens joseph Potiphar's wife thought that Joseph was hot. That's what the Bible says. The Bible said, "I you're laughing. The Bible actually says that Joseph was like not only good-looking in the face, but he was good-looking in form, saying that he had it going on, like from head to toe, the dude looked good. I like to think of myself as Joseph. Um, Not because of that, but... I don't know how to segue from that. How to redeem a moment like that. (laughs) Joseph, um, Joseph is enticed to sleep with Potiphar's wife. And in fact, Joseph was so honorable and righteous that, that as she grabbed him, he ran and fleed side note, man, we should be more like Joseph fleeing from sin. Um, So, what ends up happening? She lies. She accuses him of a crime. She accuses him of sexual assault, a crime that he didn't commit, and he's put in jail. He spends many years in jail. He still has this gift of interpreting dreams. So Pharaoh has these dreams that need to be interpreted, but no one can give the answer. So so there's some servants um, in Pharaoh's house who who know of Joseph, who spent time in jail with Joseph, uh, and knows that he has the ability to interpret dreams, and then he interprets the dreams for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is greatly appreciated. Then he goes back to jail, comes back to jail, and then long story short, he ends up becoming the second in command of all of Egypt. Now you would look at Joseph's life and you would say, man, God didn't warn him about the difficulties that he was going to face. Like the Bible doesn't talk about, hey, hey, Joseph knew that he was going to have to suffer. And because his suffering, he, because of his suffering, he was gonna be able to save many people. No, what, what does the Bible just say that like the Bible just said that he experienced life difficulties? But the beauty of Joseph's story isn't the hardships that he faced. The beauty of the story is that God invited Joseph to play a significant part in God's redeeming plan for the world and for God's people. That, his suffering, pales in comparison to what God was going to do in his life and the life of other people. Think about that. that, That what God was going to do, what God was going to accomplish to Joseph was far greater than any suffering that he was going to experience. That's the same thing for Moses. That's the same thing for Abraham. That's the same thing for King David and Solomon. That whatever suffering they experienced paled in comparison to what God was going to do in their life. So the question is, are you suffering? Yes. If the answer is yes... I can only point to the stories to give you words of encouragement to remind you that God has a bigger plan. That the plan is greater, supersedes, in fact, in some ways justifies the suffering. But the only way that you can know that, the only way you can understand that is through prayer. Why? Because, because the temptation of the human experience, the temptation of our sin, is that when we suffer, we're going to look at God with great bitterness and anger towards him. Because in some way, in some form, we think that God is unjust. So we look back to God and say, you are unjust for allowing me to suffer. But when the people of God pray, when they suffer, they don't look as, to God as the one who's unjust. They look to God as the one who is merciful enough to bring them and lead them out of the suffering. That's why we read that Psalms um, earlier in the service, Psalm 62, who is our rock and our fortress? Who, who are the righteous to run into? To be saved. It's it's God Himself, but the only way we can protect ourselves from falling into the temptation to think that God is unjust, to fall into the temptation to think that we ought not to suffer, is when we don't pray. Are you suffering? Pray. Pray for the deliverance, pray for the comfort. Are you cheerful? Is life okay right now? Pray, because the temptation that we face when life is okay and happy, then we think we've accomplished something for ourselves and we, we become less grateful for what God has done. Are you sick? Do you need healing? Pray. Why? Because God can heal. He can change your circumstances if you find yourself in any of those life stages. If you find yourself, right, like, in your heart and your mind, realizing that you don't spend enough time praying, my encouragement for you this morning is to pray. A theologian once said, right, if, keep praying until you start praying. What would our church look like? What would our world look like if we, you and me, the people of God called out, spend more time praying, pleading for God to do the thing that we want Him to do. Why don't we take a minute? If you're suffering, why don't you pray and ask God to give you the peace and deliverance and comfort that you needed this morning? Maybe you know someone who's suffering. Why don't you pray for them? Maybe you don't know anyone who's suffering, you haven't suffered in a while and you're kind of you're apathetic to the whole topic. Well, evaluate your own life. Are you a person of prayer? Do you prevail in prayer? Are you a person that can be categorized as someone who is a prayer warrior? Why don't you ask God to give you the deepest conviction of your life that in this new year, you would spend more time in his presence seeking after him, knowing him, Not only through his word, but also through conversations with him. Let's do that now. Father God, the summation of every prayer we've ever prayed and every prayer that we will pray can be summed up in this one sentence, we need you and we need you now. We need you in our lives. We need you in our church, our friendships, our relationships, our marriages. We need you in our city. We need you in our leaders. We need you in our government. We need you in every aspect of our life, God. Would you draw near us would you remind us this morning that, that we need to prevail in prayer, that you have commanded us to pray, to seek after you, your will be done in our lives. God, that we would be known as a church that prayed and prevailed in prayer. I pray for every person in this room who is suffering or knows someone who's suffering. God, we ask you in the mighty name of Jesus that you will bring comfort, that you will bring deliverance as a testimony of your faithfulness. We pray this in Christ's name, and the people of God say. This has been a message from The Chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about The Chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.